in a moment I'm going to draw some pictures for you again, which I think will be able to illustrate what we're trying to say. Um, if, if, you're not, if you've not been following us the last few weeks, I'm going to try to catch you up on what we've been saying. We've been talking about the meaning of the resurrection, uh, the power of the resurrection in the Christian's life. So often churches spend six weeks getting up to Easter, and then when Easter comes, they spend six hours and it's over with. So we're trying to actually go back and say what is happening in the resurrection. How is it that we are living in the power and in the light of Easter today? Rather than take the details from all four Gospels and merge them into one coherent story, which is sometimes the approach, and it's, at least in my opinion, valid, we've actually looked at the meaning of Easter from each gospel. We started in Matthew, and then last week we talked about Mark, and today we'll talk about Luke. Um, What we said a couple of weeks ago is that the meaning of Easter in Matthew is that um, the end of time has broken into the middle of time. We think of the beginning of the world and the end of the world, and then after the world ends, there will be another world that goes on and on forever. But in, gosp- in uh, Matthew's gospel, what, was, what the prophets said would happen at the end of the world is actually happening before the world has ended. So all of a sudden, we've got, we've got eternity breaking in to the here and now, and all of a sudden we find ourselves living in two worlds, not just one. And that's where we picked it up last week. We said the end has come crashing into the middle, and now we live in two time zones. We live right in here. So you are there. There you are. This is a powerful uh, truth that comes from the first two Gospels. What it means is that so much of what Christians, you and I, are waiting for to happen at the end of time has already begun to happen. It's just that we don't realize it. So much of what you're waiting to become after you die and go to heaven and everything's perfect for you has already broken into the life that you're in right now. It's small, it's undeveloped, it's mostly embedded, it's hidden. You can't see it without looking, but it's there. The eternal has broken in to the here and now. This is why in the New Testament so often eternal life is spoken of in the present tense, not in the future tense. He who has the Son has life. Didn't say will have him. 
it, you will have life. He says, if you have the son, you have life. I have come that you might have life. We keep thinking, ah, well, he's talking about, yeah. You, no, that's not what he said. I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And why Jesus would say, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will not die because eternal life has already been put into him. Are you there so far? A lot of words. Nod. In Ephesians, some of you were faking. In Ephesians chapter one, verse, I think it's 14, Paul says that the Holy Spirit has been given to us today as a down payment on the inheritance that we're about to receive. It just means you already have the first installment of what you will have in full in the life to come. What you have in the life to come will not necessarily be other, it'll be more of the same life that God has already put in you. You have this treasure in jars of clay. You live in jars of clay. Some of you, there's something about you don't like the way you look. You look fine from here. <laughs> there's something about your limitations or your aging or your physical boundaries that feel constraining to you and you wish you could be free of them so that you could move on to eternal life. And Paul is saying, you, yes, you are in jars of clay, but thank God you have this treasure. Now, are you there? All right. You were like wondering where I'm gonna go? So am I. Now, in Luke, we pick up that very same argument, and Luke will say that two things are then happening in our lives while we live in this middle time. Luke, is, uh, Luke has details in his gospel and his story of Easter that the other three gospels do not have. We could pick any one of these and it would be a message and God knows I started to write one then changed my mind. So what you get right now is the other one. Partway through this, what I discovered is that Luke is the only gospel of the four that mentions the crucifixion after the resurrection. No other gospel mentions that. You would think that the resurrection would be over, but it's not in Luke's gospel. It keeps reoccurring, and it reoccurs three times. And each time it occurs, it is said to a different audience. First, it is said to the women at the tomb, 
then it is said to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and then it is said to the 11 disciples that are gathered in a room in Jerusalem. In all three instances, Jesus goes back and reiterates the crucifixion after the resurrection. He's the only gospel, Luke, to do this. And it creates a mystery. That is Luke's peculiar story. The first time it occurs, the women are at the tomb. They come to the tomb, the stone has been moved away, the women have come to anoint the body. When they step inside the tomb, they notice that the body is gone. That is when it apparently, suddenly, out of nowhere, two, in the language of Luke, two men appear dressed in clothing as white as lightning. And the men say to the women, why do you look for the living among the dead? And then they say the normal thing, he is not here, he is risen. But then they say something that no other gospel records. The angel says, remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinners, he must be crucified and on the third day, rise again. And then they remembered his words. Now, your first instinct when you read this is to back up and say, did Jesus really predict this? And you discover he did four times in the Gospel of Mark, two times in the Gospel of Luke. So it sounds like what the angels are saying to the women is, see, I told you so. You can trust him. He predicted this, and this is what happened. Trust him. By the time you get to the second occurrence, it is clear that is not what he is saying. The second time, the words are used that the Son of Man must die and then rise again occurs on the road to Emmaus. We have two disciples walking on the road to Emmaus. They're leaving town. They believe Jesus is gone. They've heard rumors, but he is still gone. And so they're going home. On the way, Jesus suddenly appears and says to these two men who are deeply engrossed in this conversation. The language there in the original means they were throwing words back and forth. This was, this was not two intellectuals that are walking like this. No, no, this is two disciples who are riled up because a lot has just died. Jesus says to them, what are you talking about as you walk along the way. One of them says, you must be the only one in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened. Jesus says, what things? 
Now, now they proceed to tell Jesus' own story to Jesus. See if they get this right. One of them says, Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was mighty in power and in words, a prophet before all the people, but our leaders and our rulers have crucified him. We had thought he was the one. He was the one who was gonna redeem Israel. Now, in addition to this, it's been three days and our women have amazed us. They came back and they said that his body was not in the tomb. They said there were angels there saying that he was risen. So they saw the angels, but him they did not see. Jesus says, how foolish and slow of heart you are to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And then, beginning with the prophets, Jesus began to explain things concerning himself in all the scriptures. That the Son of Man, he said, must die and rise again. Now it occurs to you that this is not just something that happened to Jesus. This is not something Jesus invented. This was something imprinted on all of the scriptures and Jesus simply stepped into the story. The story was already there. These things were written in all of the scriptures. And he goes back to the beginning of the scriptures and begins to explain to them how everything that has just happened to him, both the dying and the rising, was already embedded in the narrative of the scriptures. The third time it occurs, Jesus suddenly appears again. How, how he does this? They're in a room, the disciples, the 11 of them, and all of a sudden, Jesus is there. And the disciples are terrified. They thought they saw a ghost. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. Look. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. It is I, myself. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as I have. Do you have anything to eat? They give him some fish. He eats it in front of them. He said, that was good. Do you have anything else? No, I added that. <laughs> and then he said, this is what is written in the scriptures, that the Son of Man must die and on the third day rise again. When you hear it the third time, you start to get the idea that this is so deeply ingrained in the narrative of the whole Bible that you better not miss this. What is happening in this middle time, says Luke, is there is always a dying and there is a rising happening. When the Apostle Paul gets hold of this, he goes crazy on it. 
Watch what he says in one of the most famous texts in his letters. Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus, who being in the very form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped. Let me translate that. He did not feel entitled to anything, even though he was God. That is a massive statement. If anyone had the right to pull rank. Being in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped. He did not cling to his entitlements, but he made himself nothing and took upon himself the form of a servant and became obedient unto death, even the death on the cross. So in this great letter or song in Philippians chapter two, you see Paul start to map out this descent in Jesus' life. And Paul is very clear about this. This is not something that happened to Jesus. It is something he did to himself. Jesus said in John chapter 10, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord. The Jews and the Romans may be culpable, but I lay my life down. Nobody just takes it from me. He was not humbled. He humbled himself. Nobody made him of low reputation. He took upon himself no reputation. Nobody made him obey. Nobody said, you're a servant boy. He obeyed himself and said himself, I am a servant boy. And nobody just killed him. He laid it down. Therefore, God hath highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, so that in the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. It is precisely because he laid it down that God exalted him. It is because he made himself nothing that God made him everything. It is because he humbled himself that God made heaven and earth humble themselves at the sound of his name. While he was going down, God was already forming something that was gonna rise even higher. Man, y'all are quiet. Now's a good time to say amen. Man, that is good truth. Now watch this when it hits Paul. Paul says this same thing is not only happening to you, it's happening at the same time. Listen to Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. 
We who are alive, he says in verse 21, are always being given over to death so that the life of Christ may be revealed in our mortal body. So that death is at work in us and life is at work in you. The word of the Lord. Romans chapter six. Don't you know that all of you who were baptized are baptized into his death? How many of you were baptized? That's all? Did you know that when you were baptized, you were baptized into his death? That's what the going under is. So that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So Paul says, if we are united with him, didn't say we were, if we are, present tense, united with him in his death, then we are, present tense, united with him in his resurrection, the word of the Lord. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I. <laughs> It is Christ Jesus who lives in me. And so the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. Galatians 2, 20 and 21. Colossians chapter 3. Set your mind on things above, not on things below. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And one day when Christ who is your life shall appear you also will appear with him in glory the word of the Lord my goodness this is such a powerful reality these two things are happening all the time there is always a dying happening in Christians' lives. And even as it dies, God is finding something in it that he will raise and multiply and bless to a much larger degree. What comes out of the dying is not just a recovery with what you once had. Oh, church, it is so much more. But you gotta let it go. You gotta die. And every instinct you have is telling you to live. And Paul is saying, there is great wisdom in dying because if it dies, it lives. But it's gotta die. The sorest evidence that you are in this descent is that something is happening to you right now which you can't stop and you don't like.
oh, Christian, you got to let it. You got to let it be. This week I read again the last 48 hours of Jesus' life in the room with a light in the dark. And, and then I would study the picture of the Pietà, Michelangelo's Pietà, and I, was, <laughs> I had this question I was trying to ask myself that said, where in this picture do you see the power of God? You see a lifeless body laying in the arms of his mother. His mother's face is forlorn. The body is motionless. It looks like total defeat. And this voice in my head is saying, look again, where do you see the rising? Because the rising is there in the dying like the dying is always in the risen ones. So I go back and I start reading the last 48 hours of Jesus' life. And everything that happened to him, I so strongly oppose. I start talking to myself in the dark room. You weren't around, it was early. Started to think I was in crazy they started to mock him. They hit him and they said, if you're the prophet, who hits you now? And I found myself saying out loud, say something. And he doesn't say a word. I watched the trial and the Romans broke every last law the Romans wrote about due process. This was injustice writ large. And I'm reading this narrative and I'm saying, it! why doesn't somebody pile it? You're responsible for this stuff and you're completely complicit in this. Say something. I watched him put him on the cross and one of the thieves says, if you are the son of God, save yourself and us. And I said out loud, if he is the son of God, he can't save himself. That is not what sons of God do. The reason the Messiah is such foolishness to the Greeks and to the Jews is because we presume to know how messiahs should act. For the record, dear church, Jesus is the Messiah and we are not. He tells us how messiahs should act. People don't die for their king in the kingdom of God. The king dies for the people. And that's the way it should be in the kingdom of God. And all the while I'm reading this and shouting to myself in the dark room, I start to feel, wait a second, there in the lifeless body of Christ, God has found a new power. Never was he more attractive than at that hour. He literally pulls the attention of the world to himself. <laughs> he said, if I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. 
And I realized that is exactly what happened. They lifted him up and he drew the world. The whole world has come after him. In the dying. Some of you this morning face physical limitations and you've been fighting them. Every time you go to the doctor, the news gets worse. So you go again and it gets worse. Jackie told me this one time. She said, the doctor gives you your first bit of news and it's like you got five cards in your hand and every time you go back to the doctor, he takes one of those cards away and over the next four or five months, you watch every one of those options in front of you get laid down until finally that time comes when you lay that last one down and you realize you got nothing. It's inevitable now. Let it go. Some of you are in relationships. You've tried a hundred times to save a bad relationship and you can and it seems to be dissolving. Maybe if I do this, maybe I did that. Maybe something is dying in there. Maybe you let it go. Some of you are failing at work or failing in one project or another and you're fighting it. Even though you can't control the variables, it's like this is happening to you and you can't stop it, but you tell yourself, if I this, maybe if I do that, but you just can't stop it, can you? Something is happening that you do not like and you cannot stop. What does it mean for you to make yourself of no reputation? Take upon yourself what is clearly being handed to you. Humble yourself and become obedient. My trouble churches that whenever this happens to me too often by the way I always fight the dying I fight injustice in the name of justice and I create in me a spirit that is not of God pretty soon it's no longer what's happening to me it's what's happening in me that is the dangerous thing. Sometimes when people criticize and attack the thing I'm trying so hard to do, I defend myself. I rise up and I do it in the name of truth. Well, if I don't stand up for the truth, well, then I'll just be imp hmm. I cannot fight the way Jesus fought in the last 48 hours of his life because he didn't fight. Once it becomes clear that this thing in me is going to die, then I hurry the resurrection.
because I am addicted to life and I am afraid of death. So I flip into this mode, this kind of triumphant mode immediately that, oh, that was just a blessing in disguise and God has reasons and that's okay. They're in heaven now anyway. Stop. Stay here a while, brother. God is forming something in you right now in the dying that is waiting to be born. If you jump in after it, you'll abort it. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. He did not exalt himself. He puts himself at the disposal of God and God will lift him up in God's time. What is it that you want more than anything in the world something you think you deserve, something that is right and good, but you're losing it. Uh, I close with a story I've told before. Then I want to lead you in a prayer. There was once a man named Abraham. Have you heard of him? He was an old man and he didn't have any children. And the Lord came to him one day and said, I will make your children um, a blessing for the whole earth. Well, Abraham believed him and God said, that, that's righteous. But no children came. And he waited and then he plotted and he made one of his own and still no children came. God came to him one day and Abraham said, why don't you just bless the child I made? And God said, I will bless the child you made, but that isn't the one I'm going to make. I'm going to make something bigger. One day, Abram was talking with his wife when three men come up and turned out being angels, they say, maybe God himself visits Abram and says, this time next year I'll come back and your wife will be pregnant. She's like 90 years old, 90 years old. I mean, she's been on social security for 25 years. So that's what she did. She started to laugh. And, and the angel said, why did you laugh? She said, I did not laugh. Yeah, you actually did. Sure enough, a year later, they came back and she was pregnant. With God, all things are possible. Here was the legacy. Here was the promise, the miracle child, the thing that God said he was going to do. This is good. Now we will bless the world. One day, God said to Abram, take your son your only son whom you love. Sounds like somebody else, doesn't it? 
watch this, and sacrifice him on an altar to be named later. It's as if God says, I'll tell you where and you'll know when. Take your son, the thing that I promised, the thing that you have, the thing that is your legacy and you don't want to let go of. Take that son and you'll know when it's time and you'll know when it's the place and when you're in that place, you kill him. Abraham thought he must be mishearing things. But then he collected himself and he rallied and he said, if God said it, then I must obey God. And so the day came when he took Isaac and he walked up the mountain and carrying the very fire logs that they would use, he bound Isaac's hands and he placed Isaac on the altar and he raised his hand ready to kill his only son. And he heard a voice that said, don't touch the child. As if God were saying he's mine. About that time, Abram looked over and there was a ram caught in the thicket. So he unbound the son's hands. Isaac got up off that altar. Abraham took that ram, sacrificed that ram on that altar meant for his boy. And they named the place God Provides. <laughs> I read that story again this week and I saw this. Take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and sacrifice him on an altar to be named later. And when they heard or saw the ram and they untied that boy and he swung his legs over and got up off that altar church, there was a rising just like there was a sacrifice. What he laid down was going to rise. And when Isaac got off that altar and they called the altar, God provides, listen to it. The next person to speak in the story is God himself. And this is what he said. Because you have taken your son, your only son whom you loved, and you were about to sacrifice him, now I know that you trust me. Therefore, says Yahweh, I will take this son of yours and I will make him into a people. You will have children, so many like stars in the sky, and your children's families will inherit the cities of their enemies, and all the world will be blessed through you. What came up off of that altar was not what went on it. What he laid down was Abraham's possession. 
Therefore, it was limited to the time and the strength of Abraham. But when he laid him down, what come off that altar was God's possession. Now it was no longer limited to how few years the old man had left. And it was not limited to the limitations of Abraham. It was alive and it was new and it was the property of God. If you don't lay it down, it'll die anyway. But if it dies, it'll live. If you let it go, God can send it ahead of you into forms and emanations and to people and places where you cannot go because it's bigger than you. But you gotta let it go. And to let it go, church, is not just spiritual. It's smart. It's just smart. It is hard. And you don't wanna do it and you don't like it and it's messy. You're entitled to all of those things. But you got to let it go. Would you bow your heads? What is it that you appear to be losing and you cannot stop? What maybe is God asking you to give up that you don't want to give up? Because you've got this, don't you? What have you had to endure that isn't right and it isn't fair and it isn't good and you can't justify this? And so you've been fighting it and maybe this morning you just hear the voice of God say, let it go, man. If you let it go, I will raise something from it. But if you won't, then I can't get my hands on it. You gotta let it go. I want you to try to find that thing and if you can in your mind, name it please. I wanna structure a prayer from you to God and then I wanna use God's own language to structure the prayer from God to you. Here's your prayer to God. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I give myself and all that I have to you. I give up what you ask for. I take up what I've been resisting. I will stay in it. I will hold it for as long as it takes. So help me God. Name it. Now hear the word of the Lord to you. 
my son, my daughter. If anyone is in Christ, they are new. <laughs> look, old things are passing away. Behold, look, I make all things new. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. I am making a way in the desert, streams in your wasteland. I will pour my spirit on you and upon your offspring and my blessing upon your descendants. And I will make you my witnesses. I will make you a light for the world to see that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. I will reach out and betroth you to myself forever in righteousness and in justice, in love and in compassion. I will show my love to the one who does not feel loved and I will call my people the ones others have said were not my people and I will say to them, you are my child and they will say, you are my God. Oh God, there is a dying <laughs> with a rising in it. I pray that you would reach into the things that we have laid down and do what you always do. Find the future in it and from it form something from the very loss that is bigger than us, something we can't imagine or see. We might not even value it from here. But make it, we pray, and make it bigger than us so that it pulls our lives up into it. And just as you bring rising to our dying, help us to see and to hold the dying and the rising, ours and those we love. Raise us for the sake of your glorious name. Amen.